0: Hi everybody, I'm Kim Winter, I'm your host for today's podcast. Um, Before I forget, please feel free to go to uh, Logistics Executive TV on YouTube and check out the other podcasts that we've been doing in the last few months. So today I'm very pleased to welcome a very special guest from uh, Melbourne and Australia, Lee Williams, who is the founder and managing director of Eastall Logistics Australia. Very unique company, as you'll find out during the conversation today. Lee, welcome. Thanks for joining us. It's great to talk to you today, Kim. Thanks. Great. So, uh, Lee, you, um, you guys are the largest warehouse and order fulfilment organisation um, providing specialist e-commerce services to, uh, and omni- omnichannel uh, retail services to uh, the market in Australia, um, which is uh, no mean feat. Prior to starting eStore in 2008, you were with uh, Accenture and IBM, and I seem to recall probably about 2008, 2009, you and I were on the speaking circuit in various places, and uh, I remember hearing about this new uh, startup company, eStore, and uh, it was really quite something new in the Australian marketplace. So congratulations on on what you've achieved so far, and I'm sure we're going to have an interesting discussion today about the story. So um, let's get jump straight into it. Why don't you give us a bit of a background on your story and uh, how eSports started, and a little bit about the journey today?
1: Yeah, thanks, Kim. Um, so yeah, the business, like you said, started uh, back in two thousand and eight. Around that time, e-commerce was starting to take off in Australia, um, and you know, at that time, I was working at IBM and Accenture, and also doing a bit of uh, e-commerce on the side. So, Importing stuff from China uh, or from other parts of Asia and, and selling those on, on eBay. Um, around that same time, oh, I mean, about a year or so earlier, uh, a good friend of mine from high school, Ruslan Kogan, had started Kogan.com. And he was also struggling with fulfillment. You know, he was trying to work out how to manage that side of things. And I was finding when I was working at IBM and Accenture that. You know, I was writing emails to my customers before work. Um, I had to get up quite early, you know, 5am, package up, my packages, take them to the post office and that was fine for sort of 10, 20, 30 orders a day. When things started to pick up, um, you know, we, we both sort of identified that there was a you know, requirement in the Australian market for, for someone to, for a business to, to start up and do, do this type of fulfilment.
0: Now, I read that somewhere you guys even were back at uh, school or uni days together. Yeah, it was actually a high school we met uh, at Melbourne High back in oh, been
1: 1998 or around that time. So we both had similar sort of interests around the time, whether that was e-commerce and, and also technology as well. So we kind of came together as mates because we both had those interests at the time.
0: Cool. And, and I guess in those days, e-commerce was really in very developmental stages. It was the, it was the early part of the wave, I guess, at that point in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. So,
1: that really uh, gave me the opportunity at the time uh, to start the business, and and Ruslan and I are business partners. So, we started the business together 12 years ago. Uh, We're a technology-enabled e-commerce fulfillment provider. So, uh, we've got five warehouses across Australia from which we're utilizing, you know, state-of-the-art systems, um, robotics, uh, you know, with our Expertly trained people to fulfill about 20 million orders per year.
0: Well, no, no, I, I, um, Rislaine Kogan, of course, is is also, uh, fairly much uh, of uh, legendary status in Australia, taking on the big retailers way back when, what, over 10, 12 years ago now, and, uh, coming out with uh, all sorts of outrageous claims of being able to bring in, um, same for same, like for like products into Australia at around about half the price. And, uh, I remember on TV at the time he was at war with a, a number of the major established retailers who said he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't last long and uh, the products were inferior. But of course, we just seen, uh, I think I was reading in the Sydney Morning Herald uh, last week about the spectacular results for, for Kogan and the established bricks-and-mortar retailers actually during this COVID period. So uh, retail in general and online in particular have done exceptionally well over this period. Um, from your perspective, what sort of clients have you been focusing on and has that client mix changed over the years or how has it evolved?
1: Yeah, so Kogan.com was our foundation client and they've been a really interesting business for us to go along the journey with because they're such a complex, they've got such a complex supply chain and a wide range of products. It's given us the opportunity over you know this 10, 12-year period to develop systems and processes that meet many different requirements. And when I say that, you know, fulfillment for, say, a tiny $1 or $2 iPhone screen protector that has very little margin on, you know, it's very different to that of, you know, a three-seater couch or a king-size bed that, you know, is difficult to deliver and needs that white-glove type service. Um, so we, we service quite a variety of customers um, at the Sort of entry level is a customer, an, a pure play online retailer that does about 50 orders per day, has quite a small SKU range, might only have a few hundred different products, but, and has their own e commerce platform and also selling maybe on a marketplace like Amazon and eBay, with it all integrated together. Um, and then, so any, we service everything up to large pure play online retailers such as com, Templin Web's is another Australian listed company a uh, pure play online retail. that's a marketplace and also takes their own inventory risk with their own stock uh, and the My deals of the world, so uh, other big um, online retailers like that. And that's enabled us to uh, then widen our offering out to um, omnichannel retailers. So these are businesses like Patagonia, for example, that everyone probably hears of, That the clothing brand, that's got their own bricks-and-mortar stores, um, also sells their product into independence and the, and the big box retailers that have sort of strict compliance requirements. You know, in Australia, we've got Meyer and David Jones. You know, in the US, it's Walmart and, and these types of big box retailers. Um, so it's really anything with like an e-commerce flavour.
0: And you guys, have, of course, have been leaders in this field for, for some time, um, I want to drill down on technology because you've really been at the forefront of technology, in particular robotics, and uh, I know it's a passion of yours. I've heard you speak about it in various conferences and I know things have evolved since I saw you last, which was you know probably over a year and a half, two years ago. So but before we do that, uh, maybe we can just pan back out, take the helicopter view and maybe give our audience a bit of a understanding of where uh, the e-commerce and, and retail space is at in Australia at the moment. There's been some spectacular results, but of course not every road is paved with gold and there are a lot of dynamics going on around uh, the world at the moment. Um, Australia is not always a front and centre of, of the global picture, um, but of course it's a very important economy and it's, uh, it's got its own challenges and, and uh, interesting byplay going on with various other marketplace players such as China at the moment uh, from a political perspective. Um, But tell us a little bit about what's happening in the e-commerce and retail space in Australia currently.
1: Yeah, so pre-COVID, e-commerce penetration was about 10% for uh, non-food goods, um, so sales are online, and that's about we're lagging way behind that of, say, the US or the UK. So the UK was about twenty percent. So it's quite an immature market over here in Australia, and that um, is really reflected even in how some of the supply chains have been set up to service e-commerce, and also consumer expectations. So it's only very recently, you know, that consumers have been expecting faster delivery, you know, later cutoffs for same-day fulfillment, and uh, even same-day delivery as well. Now. We've seen a huge uh, acceleration of that through the the COVID period of what's happened in the last few months, And even just looking at the year-on-year volumes that we've seen being traded through our customer base, um, through March and April, we sort of saw about a thirty to forty percent year-on-year increase. Uh, by the time we hit June, we were just under 100% year-on-year increase. We were at about 98 99%. Uh, and in July, we saw 110% increase. So um, because there's been obviously the inability with the lockdowns for people to visit retail stores, it's been an interesting shift in consumer habits of what they're then moving to online shopping. And it'd be interesting to see how that plays out into the future. I think a lot of people that previously weren't shopping online have learned about the convenience and and with the shipping costs decreasing, um, you know, will find that, you know, they don't need to, you know, drive to the shopping centre, they don't need to fight to get that parking spot, uh, they don't need to then, you know, navigate all the different people in the different stores and the pushy sales assistants um, to, to make that purchase. They can easily go online, get something done much quicker, compare prices. Uh, that way and um, have something conveniently delivered to their door fast.
0: Right. You've, um, you've recently opened uh, a new warehouse. I was reading in the uh, MHD magazine, which is one of Australia's, if not Australia's, uh, preeminent uh, supply chain logistics magazine, particularly for materials handling. Um, there's a brand-new site. Uh, tell us a little bit about the site and some of the technology. Is this the site where you put the AMR technology in?
1: Yes, yeah, so this is a really exciting site for us. So it's our new headquarters, which is based in Melbourne. It's a 26,500 square metre facility that uh, we essentially designed with our consultants who we partnered with um, and also a property developer. Um, so this thing's been set up commercially and operationally to be as optimal as, as, um, as, as we could set it up based on our needs. And within that DC, we've rolled out... Ah, uh, these autonomous mobile robots, which uh, is actually our second implementation of this technology. Our first one was earlier in the year at another site. Um, our business case has been tested at that initial site, and we've um, proceeded to roll out over two hundred of these robots within this DC over a multi-story mezzanine, uh, and, and across this mezzanine will be you know packaging machines, you know box machines, CMC machines, which box up the product, Satcheling machines and also sortation, um, which essentially allows us to sort by shipping carrier or by priority and that sort of stuff. And all this stuff's been put in place essentially to um, push back the cutoff for same day fulfillment to as late as possible. Um, So we've pushed that needle to 4 pm in a cost effective way using this technology and then also to cost effectively support same day delivery. As we all know, that as soon as there's an order which has got to be treated in its own discreet way to be picked and packed within a warehouse, when I say discreet, to be picked and packed um, for same-day delivery as a VIP rushed order, as soon as you do that in a manual process, it becomes cost prohibitive unless the retailer make a loss. This technology is us to do that cost effectively uh, and so that you know, Aussie consumers can get their products fast.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, what sort of uh, decision making process did you go through to select that automated uh, mobile robot AMR technology? I mean, you was, and, and what was the tipping point that had you reached that point of deciding you, it was uh, cost effective or sensible to go in that to that high level of AI uh, technology? What, what was the tipping point, and, and who? You know, who did you use to assist you in that decision-making process?
1: Uh, Yeah, good question. So the project started about three and a half years ago, and the problem that we wanted to solve was how do we get greater throughput and support faster delivery? So when we first started the project, we hired some consultants because we had no experience in robotics and no experience in automation. Um, all of our experience internally was um, digital automation, software systems and that sort of stuff. So, when we um, started the project, we we started by engaging some consultants on a small initial project to just help us understand the approach that they took in automation selection and what data they looked at and what metrics and that sort of stuff. So, um, we worked with some people who essentially had experience in e commerce uh, in Australia and experience with implementing automated systems. Um, we took a model that they had produced and saw that it was a very good model for us to initially look at, but it didn't quite you know meet our needs and with our business. so and that essentially looked at what fixed automation was available. And at the time, we looked at what's called the Swiss Log Auto Store, which is a, a big um, cube that takes up very a little space within warehouses and um, essentially holds totes of products. And the system digs into this. The, the system has robots that run around across the top and that digs in to pull out these totes uh, and bring those totes to users to, to pick orders. We looked at that in a fair bit of detail. We also looked at um, ASRS systems, so automatic storage and retrieval systems, um, kind of like your dramatic high-rise bay systems that you've got sort of these molds multi- you've got these robots that go from level to level to pick out the totes and bring them across um, conveyors to the user to pack out the orders. And what we looked at and essentially what, what our challenge was at the time was that eStore had to is a profit center, right? We're not a retailer where the warehouse is a cost center. And we all of our customers aren't essentially um, you know taking the risk with us. They're, you know, paying a price per order or pay a price uh, a fee per storage item within our system. And we're we're kind of at the mercy of what type of products they're sending to us. So Essentially, what we realised was fixed automation came at very high capex and fixed automation also comes with um, significant risk and a long payback. So, we sort of took this journey and then started looking at AMRs and when we started looking into the AMR business case, we found that it fits the highest percentage of our SKU range um, compared to... um, what you know the other fixed automation could take the the capital expenditure was much lower and the payback was much shorter and so that essentially offered a far far more flexible approach for our business and far far, far less riskier so the payback's less than half of that of some of the other automation types
0: wow it's interesting so i suppose you've ended up uh being a little bit of a uh a, a test or a show site for that sort of technology on the scale that you have uh, deployed it in Australia? Yeah, so there's not
1: many implementations of this type of technology in Australia. Um, It's pretty new to the country, the AMRs, and the way they work is essentially they're small. They're these robots. um, They're about one or 200 kilos. Uh, They move um, these shelving units around. Essentially, once product comes in from suppliers, from the retailer's suppliers, we receipt it into our warehouse management system um, and then put it away into the storage, into the AMR system. The robot presents the shelving units to the user and it optimises, it goes and calculates all the stock which has come in receipt and optimises how that product should be put away into those shelving units to get the best storage density so that you use the lower storage footprint. The system then looks at and analyzes using historical data matching, um, you know, the, the skew profile of the stock that's sitting in the system, the velocity of those skews being sold historically, and the system's constantly moving around all those um, storage units within the system, the mobile storage units, the MSUs, and optimising them so that um, it's predicting when an order comes through what the likelihood is of that product within those storage units being required. And so it's putting the hot skews towards the front uh, where the users are and putting the, the, the less, you know, your D-movers at the back. And, you know, while we're even not operating, you know, we, we, we operate about 20 hours a day when there's no staff on site, that system's still looking at all the orders that are poorly in, in in live in real time and optimizing the the layout of those um those shelving units from the system so that once the users start picking, um it's in the most optimal layout to to, to perform that.
0: Yeah. So what um, when you decided to go with this technology? Uh, Australia of course is is a very expensive country on a global scale in terms of labour. Um, the compliance and uh, union issues around the Australian environment means that labor is by by comparison quite expensive. Um, what sort of can you share with us any sort of big picture numbers in terms of percentage advantage or Return on investment you you've gained over a period of time since introducing this technology against uh, continuing employing more and more labour. Yeah, so
1: it's interesting because um, when people look at the robots, people think that they're replacing jobs. the the The, um, the fact of the matter is they're not. They're allowing us to create more jobs. Because this industry, being e-commerce and retail, um, as those volumes increase, um, more people are required within warehouses. More technology people are required to support those technologies. More people work within the retailers. Um, but essentially, what that's enabled us to do is it's pro- it's produced about a three to four hundred percent productivity gain in being able to fulfil orders. And the the payback on the system is far less than five
0: years. Wow, it's pretty uh, it's pretty impressive. Uh, what, what sort of um, what sort of uh, journey did you go on in terms of integration of this technology with your other existing technology, with your back end systems, with your billing, um, with your customer interface uh, that was already existing in the business? I mean, we hear horror stories quite often about uh, new technology implementations all around the world, uh, especially for major implementations. Um, maybe share with us, if you can, a little bit about how that journey took place and how that integration has gone Sure. So one thing we pride ourselves on with at store
1: is we've become experts in all the technologies we use. We try not to rely too much on the vendor for support. So, for example, We run the Manhattan Scale WMS, which is a tier one WMS and Gartner sort of looks at that as the the number one visionary leader Um, and we don't rely on that vendor being Manhattan for much much support to customise and configure the application. So we've done the same thing with our AMR project. We've uh, really skilled up a team which um, is able to, Operates, customise, and all those sorts of things within the system um, without having the outside support. Now we went live with our first implementation in March, and our vendor is based overseas, and our vendor couldn't enter the country uh, at that time due to COVID restrictions. Of course. Uh, and we had a super successful go live with that. And probably one of the keys with that is um, we worked hand in hand with the vendor without having any sort of middleman in between us and the vendor. And that's worked well because we understand our business the best and the vendor understands their technology the best. So we've been able, by having that direct line of communication into them and not having a third party in the middle, that's enabled us to get a really good outcome and um, we've got a really good partner and probably a showpiece for these guys, um, you know, moving into the future. But... If you look at sort of how our group of systems hang together, we've gone and built pre—we've uh, got pre-built integrations into all the major e-commerce platforms. So, you know, your yeah, WooCommerce, Shopify, your BigCommerce, Magento—all those big e-commerce platforms that most retailers run on. Um, we've also got behind that our a proprietary front optimization system. And that's a system we've actually built from day one. So it's still a part of the software that I built back 10 years ago. It's been heavily changed since then with our, you know, our software development guys. But essentially, that system takes an order from a customer and then works out the, how the order should be packaged. So it's got three cubing and cartonisation algorithms within it that work out based on pre-agreed business rules of the retailer, um, how do I be packaged, whether it goes in a satchel, or whether it's going to be shipped in a box, um, whether it's got some bubble wrap or something around it, and that's completely system directed to the user, and it also looks at what shipping carriers are available and suitable to ship the order and what warehouse the stocks available in so that front optimization system essentially enables our te- enables our team to quickly choose a shipping carrier, choose a warehouse, and then to push that order into our Manhattan Scour WMS with that additional information. Within that, we've then got seven ways to, to pick pack, an order, and so we've got algorithms within that, that that are essentially assessing the skew profile that are coming in with all those orders, uh, the volume of each skew going out in the day, and it's essentially pushing that order into one of those seven buckets. A, they, a skew could go into bucket A or bucket C uh, on, on any given day just based on the profile going through, and those buckets work out the most optimal way to, to ship that order.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, it's interesting. You talked a little while ago about technology being an enabler as opposed to replacing people. It's great to hear. And you know, as you say, a lot of uh, a lot of the market thinks that technology is is there to replace people. But uh, certainly, having being an observer of your growth uh, in Australia in recent years, it's clearly an enabler, and you're you're growing from strength to strength. What um, this is a snapshot. What uh, what points of wisdom could you give to other individuals or heads of IT or heads of operations or other companies, enterprises looking at going down the route of the type of technology that you've selected? Is there any uh, any comments you could make and guidance you could provide around that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, in my opinion, unless you're like a Nike or an Adidas, that have know that they've been manufacturing hats, t-shirts, shoes for 30 years, and they know the roadmap moving forward is probably only going to be hats, t-shirts, and shoes. Um, if, unless you're one of those retailers, fixed automation is fine. But if you're not one of those retailers, um, you need to consider flexibility and what happens when the business changes. And when I say the business changes. Um, The way that things can change is SKU profiles can change, but then order profiles. If you design a system, for example, which is built for um, traditional retail stores, which have hundreds or thousands of items in each order, the solution looks different to that of an e-commerce order that has an average of 1.5 or 2 units in an order. So what happens if your business today needs to pivot and move into, a if an order profile, you need to consider what flexibility is available to that automation and what the impact of the automation is when once that profile changes. So the key is really just ensuring that the automation that um, you implement is flexible and is going to be suitable for what happens in two, three, four or five years' time. Uh, you don't want to get caught in a trap that's You implement something, it becomes not fit for purpose in the future and it either needs to be mothballed or highly modified and there's no return on investment. Um, And that's why I guess AMR is quite a good option for many different business types because the capital required to be put down in this type of solution is quite low. It's modular. You can expand it quite easily uh, it's not like uh, one of these big automation systems where you've got to do one big CapEx thing in one go. And in in working out and establishing all the different options that, um, you know, you're, you're going to consider in terms of putting in like this sort of automation system, it's really important to, um, you know, consider what your data looks like go through your item master, go through what, you know, the SKU profiles look like and match all that data together and model it out on multiple different scenarios.
0: Okay. I want to just talk and pan out a little bit now and talk about uh, Last Mile, which is always a really big issue for anybody in the e-commerce supply chain. Um, how, how does e-commerce work, sorry, how does uh, Last Mile work in, in your uh, model. Uh, are you providing last mile services or purely fulfillment services? And how, is the, how do you see the market in Australia? I mean, i been reading online um, a lot of stories about really serious delays in, in last mile in Australia in recent times. Of course, the big suppliers there, including Australia Post, have had to really ramp up, going to uh, pop up uh, centers and and bringing in a whole lot of uh, new resources and people to uh, meet this meet their delivery standards what 's the uh, last mile perspective been from your site
1: yeah, so at east Door we we uh, contract out the last mile to various different shipping carriers so australia post is one of them um, we essentially aggregate all of our clients volume together so that they can access cost savings from that economies of scale um, now australia for anyone that knows it, we're a very small population for uh, a few di- small capital cities and it's it's a very challenging um you know environment for the last mile and um, it makes it quite expensive for the delivery. When I say quite expensive, you know, the, I know in the UK and the US, you can ship something for a few dollars. It's possible to do that in Australia, um, you know, within Melbourne and Melbourne and Melbourne and Sydney. But if you start moving a parcel that's, you know, say a case of wine, you know, all Aussies, a lot of Aussies love their wine. Um, you know, shipping that around the country gets into the tens or fifteens of dollars to, to get across, you know, to Perth from Melbourne or, or somewhere like that. Uh, Simply due to the distance, it's many thousands of kilometres. Now, um, Australia Post—it's really difficult for other carriers to actually meet their level of service. While there have been a few delays recently, uh, they've they've responded quite well um, to what you know the the increase in volume. That it's their hub and spoken network that makes them the best. If you look at how many Deliveries they perform within a single postcode—it's far higher than any other, you know, carrier within the country from a, an e-commerce perspective. And then they've also got, you know, obviously the the post offices to onto to drop off parcels and that sort of stuff. Um, it's pretty difficult for for startups to to compete with that um, that type of scale unless they're just operating within metro Melbourne. Uh, or, you know, Metro Sydney and offering those types of services. Now, what the interesting thing is though, um, if an e commerce retailer, you know, peels off, say, part of the delivery to a smaller startup, they're then butchering out some of that volume which goes to Australia Post and that affects the dispersion and the rates and, and the, the commercial offer that Australia Post has. So, they really do have the market in Australia. There have been some delays and their acquisition of Star Trek has been quite a good strategic one because with that, they've introduced a uh, a new service called um same day. And that's we've been utilizing that for some of our customers and to enable them to some of the retailers off of to their consumers, you know, three four hour delivery. And the way that works is Star Trek comes in, they take away a bundle of orders to the road DC, they sort that and then go and deliver that within three hours. And that takes away all the sortation requirements within the fulfilment centre, which um, pushes back the cost to Star Trek, which is actually quite good. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a dynamic marketplace and quite unusual uh, environment geographically in Australia, as you say, so quite challenging. Um, I'm sure we can talk about last mile till the cows come home, and Maybe we'll talk about that another day as well. But before I wrap up, um, Lee, I just wanted to get a quick comment from you. Um, Again, big subject, and I'd love to come back to you and talk about this further down track uh, in your your evolution, but uh, give us a quick heads up on on your view of the importance of data uh, in your business. And and again, I'll restrict you because I know this is a a passion of yours, but talk to us a little bit about the data and, uh, and what the value proposition for you about understanding data has been.
1: Yeah, so we're a highly data-driven business. Um, and That's probably one reason why I even started the business back, you know, 11, 12 years ago because, you know, logistics um, is we've got a set of humans and people which we're relying on to perform scalable and repeatable tasks and to enable us to do that we've got to have these robust systems sitting around it um, assisting those users to, to create those those repeatable outcomes, the same outcome every time, those scalable outcomes as well. Now, one thing that I've found since the start of this journey that data is paramount in being able to um, work out how to gain efficiency and to establish, you know, historically what's happened, then what? how could we use that information to um you know, to our advantage to build processes and systems around that to, to deliver successful outcomes. It all even starts when we, when we talk to a retailer, understanding what their profile looks like and how um, clean that data is enables us to pop, pop it into a cost model to be able to pop out the, the best possible cost and put the best proposal to them. But most importantly, for our algorithms to be able to perform all these calculations, such as how to package an order, which wave packing flow it should go through, which shipping carrier to send it with, it all relies on really accurate data. And that even comes down to a granular level of um, making sure we've got dimensions of products correct within our system, making sure that you know, we've done enough analysis to work out which which packaging types are the best to use for different orders types, making sure that, you know, up front we agree what shipping carries and it's all in the data are most suitable for some types of orders versus not suitable for other types of orders. Um, and even down to, you know, flagging different products and ensuring that, you know, the glassware gets wrapped in bubble wrap Uh, and the T-shirt gets put in a mailing bag. This is all data and this is all business rules. If we can get all this right, we're able to configure systems and set up processes which work super well and um, create this seamless process so that as soon as an order comes through from that shopping cart, it just seamlessly flows through our systems, systems making decisions, humans are performing processes and then shipping carriers uh, are performing that last mile as soon as possible and creating
0: this outcome come for Aussie consumers. Yeah, the focus on data really, really rings true with our corporate advisory teams in, uh, in Australia, Asia and here in regards to the projects they're doing with clients at the moment. It all, it all starts with data and uh, we're bringing on more people in their own teams and in regards to data analytics and understanding the value of data. A um, couple of quick questions before I let you go. Um, One, I always like to ask uh, people I'm interviewing and uh, executives in the marketplace, what are the the two or three uh, aspects of characteristics that you're looking for uh, in people that you're bringing into your business, first of all? So if you can just share with us uh, what those key elements are that you're looking for in new hires, what are the two or three things that you'd be looking for?
1: Um, so one of the things that we're working really hard on right now is building our culture internally and values. And um, when people ask me, you know, what, what is your culture? And it's, it's simple. It's who you hire, fire and promote. So when we're looking at people, for example, right now we've got a really strong focus on operations team, building our leadership within that Uh, And we're talking about, you know, site managers, we're talking about operation director type people, we're talking about people who are leading hundreds of people and we're looking at what their people skills are like, what their decision-making skills um, are like, you know, how they can influence people. Um, You know, we're not interested in the old, you know, waving fists around and, and telling people, looking at how we can bring leaders into our organisation and how we can have those leaders develop the people within our business, so that the next team leader becomes the next supervisor. The next supervisor becomes the next site manager. The next site manager becomes the next state, you know, a state manager, and so forth. So that's one really key thing. Um, and right now, we're really bolstering our technology team. So there's a bunch of roles we've got out in the market. Um, interestingly, it's uh, one 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 um, really tough skill we're looking for right now is um, it's a a technical product manager for our WMS team which has uh, seven or eight people in it and it's someone who um, can sort of run, work in a product manager type um, way but is also very technical and basically runs a roadmap for that application and that's actually a really hard role for us to hire for right now. There's not many people that have that type of experience, uh, and is available, and in Melbourne, due to the travel restrictions. Yeah. Um, we're hiring for a bunch of roles, but they're probably the two front of mind
0: things that, that are we've got at the moment. Okay, brilliant. Yeah, I can assure you that those sorts of skills um, are light on in a number of markets where we operate in Asia and the Middle East. Uh, final question, I know you've got to go, but uh, really, a bit of a snapshot, what do you see for eStore in the, in the coming uh, coming months and years? What are the objectives? Uh, what's the journey going to look like moving ahead?
1: Yeah, so we've really opened the door um, to a whole um, set of new markets with this uh, automation we've put in. So with implementing these robots, we've essentially democratised the access for businesses of all sizes to this type of technology. If you look at the US, for example, or other, uh, even in Australia or uh, and other markets around the world, it's usually um, businesses like Amazon or other large retailers that have access to this technology, which then give them the ability to ship cost-effectively and super fast. Now, we're currently working on a project to, excuse me, open this door so that um, even small businesses hundreds of small businesses can outsource their fulfillment with self-service platform so they can essentially sign up to this platform um, download all of these documents on how to interface with us and um, for the instructions to ship the stock into our warehouses and then they can get access to this robotic system and enable them to um, they interact through our customer service layers and this sort of stuff to, to ship orders. So we're calling that Eastall Light, kind of a one size all model, and that's something we're currently working on and pretty excited
0: about, um, which we're starting to test with a couple of small customers right now. Great. Hey, Lee, look, I really appreciate uh, you joining us today, and I hope our audience has been able to pick up and go uh, the journey that you've been on and take some learnings from it. Um, you guys have got a uh, done a fantastic job in Australia. I really do look forward to following the progress moving forward. Um, look forward to catching up with you again and following uh, following on with the story. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, best of luck with the uh, with the uh, the COVID there. I think the, the government of Victoria is looking to uh, lighten up on the restrictions there. I know you guys will look uh, forward to getting outside more and uh, and getting back in, into the marketplace. Thanks for your time. I really enjoyed speaking with you and I hope to talk to you again. Thanks, Kim. Great to catch up. Have a great week. Thank you. You too.